Well, good morning. Um, today's scripture lesson is a continuation in John, um, as we've been going through that. Aaron's been leading us faithfully through that book. Um, it's on page 1060 in the Pew Bibles, if you want to follow along. And it's John 6, um, chapter 6, verses 60 through 71. And just a little preface, um, Jesus had just spoken about being the bread of life in the previous scripture and how we should eat his flesh and drink his blood. And so when the disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And Jesus said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet, one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Can we pray for a minute? Dear Lord, thank you for your word, your son. And we just ask that you bring us to a full understanding of, of what it is that you would have us learn from this passage in your holy scripture. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Bruce. Good morning. On. Well, I had a very proud moment this last week. Uh, I was talking to a prospective Vermont Law School student, and they thought I was from Royalton, Vermont. I was very, very proud. She was from Illinois, so she had no clue what she was talking about. She couldn't tell what the difference is between a true Vermonter like many of you and a transplant like our family. And she was completely unaware of the quirkiness of us Californians. And I'm sure that many of you have had a good laugh at our family over the last two years. I heard that the ground shook a couple weeks ago up in the Upper Valley from something that nobody knew what it was. And it really doesn't bother us when the ground shakes, even if the whole building shakes. We are weird from Californians. And just in case you didn't know, Californians do like winter. Sometimes they need to wear sunscreen, but they also like to watch the snow from their televisions. 
you've probably heard myself or even one of my kids, regardless if you're a man or a woman, say dude. It's okay to do that if you're from California. But when we returned a couple months ago, we came out of the airport. It made me realize I do not want to ever live in California again because the freeway was a parking lot. I don't know how anybody could do that. We love being here. This is home, and every day we learn more and more of what it's like to live here, to uh, be here amongst all of you. And I think we can all admit our family will never be Vermonters. We aren't having any more kids so that we can have a Vermonter in the house, even though they'd need a couple more generations. But you, knowing us, know that we are Californians because you know where we came from, you know how we act. We're trying to contextualize our lives to live here in this great state amongst you all, and you guys have helped us a lot. And so this morning, how it connects to our passage in John 6, we've seen the crowds. And they seek and they question. We've seen the Jews. They've grumbled and debated. And this morning, we'll see true disciples contrasted with false disciples. And like you see us as Californians, my hope and my prayer is that this morning you'll see what true disciples look like. And so will you pray with me and we will jump into the text. Father, we thank you for an opportunity to gather, to be submitted to your word and to be taught by your word and your son. And God, we thank you that you have the words of eternal life in this Bible that we read and the words that we hear that came from your son's mouth. And so, God, would you help us to believe that, to know that, to follow that, and to live in accordance with that. We pray that you would speak your words through my mouth and that your people here gathered would see and hear your voice. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so, as I said, we saw the crowds in John 6, and they wanted to get something from Jesus. They got bread and fish, but as you may recall from a couple weeks ago, they missed Jesus. The Jews, they wanted someone other than Jesus. They wanted Moses, and they missed Jesus too. And as Bruce reminded us, I will read it in John 6, verse 58. Jesus said this as he was wrapping up his discussion with the Jews. He said, this is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. He says, whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And so symbolically, Jesus is telling them and us that we must be sustained, sustained by the word made flesh. Not by what he provides or what we want him to be but be sustained by him specifically. And so being sustained by Jesus is better than what we get from him. It's better than Moses because we actually get God in the process who is and meets our greatest need. And so in John, we have a moment and we'll continue to see this throughout our study where John is showing us, John is calling us for decisive Christian commitment. So let's look again at verse 60. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? 
But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. And as we see in the next verse, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And so we saw the crowds, we saw the Jews, and we see now false disciples in this section. And so whoever feeds on Jesus, whoever is sustained by him, whoever is satisfied in Christ will live. And those words were hard for these supposed disciples to hear. Disciples, they are students. They're students of Jesus, and they were not just passerbys or visitors. They've followed him. They've walked with him. They've learned from him. They've seen what he has done now for two years. I don't think that this word, disciples, refers to the 12 because they are specifically called out in the next section, but they've walked with Jesus for some time, and they're getting to things that are hard for them to understand and believe. And so just like we are good at grumbling in 2022 America, these disciples are good at grumbling as well. And they're not grumbling about gas prices. They're not grumbling about politics, which is another sermon for another time. But this is hard for them to understand, and they are grumbling about it. Their hearts are hard because these are not true disciples. These are false disciples. And the idea of hearing here means to accept what is being taught or listening with the view that they would obey the teaching. And we've heard what Jesus has said for some time now, and we've seen now that these folks are not hearing. They've listened to the words for some time now, and they are not listening. And chapter 6 has been hard for me to grasp and understand, but as we get to this last section, it's starting to click. It has so much Old Testament background. It has so much connecting to what we've already seen in the Gospel of John. And it's clear now, seeing the crowds, the Jews, and now the false disciples, that John's emphasis is seeking in order to understand, hearing in order to obey, or just to truly follow Jesus. The false disciples are not seeking to follow. They're missing the point, just like the crowds and just like the Jews who were in the previous sections before them. But Jesus knew they were grumbling. Why do you take offense, he says in verse 62. He says, what if you saw me ascend? And this is an example, again, we've talked about in the Gospel of John, where he likes to use words that have double meanings. Jesus is saying, you take offense at these words, these challenging words that I've said, but what if a greater miracle happens and you see me raised from the dead, but also raise and ascend into heaven at God's right hand? Where Jesus knows their unbelief. 
They've seen the same signs that the crowd had seen and wanted more of. And next weekend, Good Friday and Easter, for these false disciples, seeing Jesus lifted up on a cross won't cause them to believe either, Jesus is saying. And seeing the greatest sign of the resurrection from the dead to come, Jesus knows they will not believe either. When he's at his father's side, when it's too late to make a decision at one's end of their life, it will be too late for them as well. And he knows that these false disciples will not believe. Can you perceive the condition of their heart yet? And so how men and women respond to the supreme scandal of being satisfied in Christ in his substitutionary death in our place on the cross for our sins ultimately determines our destiny. And as we've seen over and over again in this gospel, salvation is of a work of God. Jesus told Nicodemus, one must be born of water and of the Spirit to enter the kingdom of God. He told the crowds last week that salvation is a work of God. He told the Jews last week as well that no one can come to them uh, to him unless the Father draws them. And now this morning we see that it is the Spirit that gives life, not the flesh. We cannot save ourselves. It's a gift of God. As the Spirit gave life to Adam and Eve in the garden, the Spirit also gives life to dead men and women like you and I in this room. And life comes by believing the words that are spoken of Jesus. And it's this continual, symbolic feeding on this bread and drinking of this water that never runs dry. And so the Spirit gives life. The Son, He substitutes His life. The Father draws those to Himself who will give life through believing in the Son by the power of the Spirit. And it's a beautiful mystery how the Trinity all works in our salvation. And it's a beautiful mystery as we continue to see in the Gospel of John how our responsibility to respond to this Gospel works with God's hand of sovereignty in our salvation to give us the means by which we can respond to the gospel. And what was challenging for these disciples is that they haven't connected what they see in God's word with what's coming out of Jesus' mouth as the gospel. It's the spirit whose work is to say, you hear these things that you read, that you hear coming out of Jesus' mouth, where he says, that's the gospel. You should believe in that. You should repent and follow and open up your heart to respond to this gospel, to hear, to believe, and to follow what God's word says. And Jesus is, acknowledges that there are some who don't believe, even in the midst of the disciples. John even says that John, Jesus knew from the very beginning those who would not believe and ultimately him who would betray him which we'll get to in the next section. Some will turn away, some do not follow. And we know that is true by just looking around the world today, don't we? Not everyone believes when they hear the gospel. They aren't given life by the Spirit. The Word of God stands forever, though, and it always points to Jesus. Jesus' own words are on par with Scripture, as we will see in just a moment. 
But however much we are commanded to believe and we are held accountable for our belief or unbelief, genuine faith is never a matter of our own volition. And that's even true of the disciples. And verse 65 reminds us that salvation is an act of the Father. And so we can admit not all disciples are true disciples. Early in the chapter, the disciples, they left Jesus. They went across the lake on the boat. And as they were in distress, Jesus came to them. He saved them. But here is something completely different. As the disciples leave in verse 66, Jesus doesn't follow them. He doesn't go after them to save them. And it's a bit sad, isn't it? Where we as sinners, we are commanded to believe and will be held accountable for rejecting the truth. And genuine faith is a gift of God that he initiates. Jesus does command all to believe and all to repent. Don't take my word for it. Let's take God's word for it. In Acts chapter 17, verse 30, it says this. The times of ignorance God has overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. And so in the face of unbelief, Jesus reiterates God's sovereignty over salvation and a reminder of the misery associated with turning away and rejecting the gospel he commands all people to believe. And so friends, as you consider this passage, you may be asking questions and seeking like the crowds were, who were eventually silenced. You may be grumbling or debating or asking questions and might walk away like the Jews did or these false disciples did. At some point, though, even though these things are hard to understand and follow, we will all need to make a decision. And what is sad about this passage, like I've already said, is that Jesus doesn't beg them. He doesn't continue to go after these folks. He doesn't ask them to stay. And so as you, we call you to even proclaim the gospel to your friends and your family and your neighbors and your acquaintances, the people who you walk around this life with, we share the gospel. We preach the good news. We even explain hard things that are un difficult to understand as Jesus calls us to. We sow seeds, but God is the one who gives us the ability, who gives those who you are sharing with the ability to believe because it's a work of God to do so. If you've seen in my office on the whiteboard, I have three steps of evangelism written down on there. I don't remember where I read it or where I heard it, but the first step is to initiate with people, where you engage with them, you talk to them, you just listen to them, you have a conversation with them. The second thing is as you are listening and talking with them, you invest with the gospel, where the gospel can speak into their life, the good, the bad, and the ugly. The challenges and the joys of life can all be addressed with the gospel. And so you initiate, you invest, and the third piece is that you can just invite them to Jesus. 
And even though you or even they may not understand everything completely like these disciples, God's word is clear. God's word is knowable. God's word is sufficient for salvation. And so allow God to work. But I do know one thing. God will not work to save people without a gospel presentation, without a gospel proclamation. And so we must share the gospel for sinners to be saved, just like someone shared it with us at one point. And so as a Christian, it's a great reminder to also ask yourself, and ask God rather, to help you to hear well, to help you to follow diligently, to worship wholeheartedly because life is hard and trials will come. And so friends, it's not a matter of if trials will come. It's just a matter of when trials will come. Where Jesus was rejected by these students who followed him for years, we too will be rejected, especially by strangers who aren't part of God's family. And it's also true that sometimes, sadly, people we think our disciples aren't truly disciples. You may even know someone like that. But John, the gospel writer, he wrote this some years later in 1 John chapter 2, verse 19. He says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that where they are not of us. And so rejection will come when things get hard. And so friends, they rejected Jesus, and it's okay if they reject us who share the message of Jesus. Rejection of Jesus has been happening for 2,000 years. We will know the true dis who the true disciples are by those who remain to the end. And as for you, Christian, my call to you is to endure. Jesus will never cast you out. Remember like we talked about last week? He loves you. And when life throws you a curveball like it's probably done dozens of times over the last two years and will probably happen again, we need to continue to call each other to endure. Where COVID has been a challenge, politics have been a challenge, relationships have been a challenge, and if you're anything like me, you've probably questioned things spiritually as well from time to time over the last couple years. Jesus didn't beg these disciples to stay, but it's a watershed moment in this gospel. After this, in verse 66, it says they turned back. And if you're pondering your struggle, if you're pondering walking away, I, your elders, this church would love to help you to walk through this that you would continue to walk with Jesus. And we get to do this together. And Lord, willingly, we will continue to encourage one another. And as Peter encouraged the disciples, we'll be able to remind ourselves of who Jesus truly is and we can become and continue as true disciples of Jesus. So let's look at verse 67 through the end of the, through the, end of the chapter. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go his way as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. 
And Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. And so the crowds, they rejected Jesus. The Jews rejected Jesus. And these false disciples have now rejected Jesus. But these true disciples, they have nowhere else to go. They have nowhere else to turn to. And so they stick with and they follow Jesus. And so Simon Peter, he becomes this spokesperson for the 12 and specifically called the 12 here as they are the ones who do follow Jesus, not just these group of disciples who are following him and want to learn from him. And not only is it the spirit who gives life, which we saw in verse 63, but it's the words of Jesus, which are the words of eternal life. I was reminded in Isaiah chapter 40, verse eight, it says the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. And so friends, Jesus has the words we are called to believe in, to know, and also to follow. Where the word made flesh speaks the words of God. And not only does he have the words, but the 12, as Peter says, have believed them and come to know them and follow them, that he is the Holy One of God. And the phrase that we have believed and come to know is, is, is constitu- like a single idea, kind of like it's a dreary and rainy day, which we've seen a lot of those recently. Peter's expressing a firm conviction and a, rest, and a result of careful consideration after some time of following and listening and hearing what Jesus has said for some time now. And so consider the patience that Jesus has had with this group of folks for 12 or for two years now. This group of disciples, including the 12, he called them and one of them, Nathaniel, proclaimed immediately who Jesus was. He's walked with them. He's done miracles among them. He's done miracles through them. And some have turned away, but some, these 12, have followed and obeyed. And so as you engage with those around you, as you share the gospel, it might be a quick conversation with somebody and they immediately believe. But for most, those whom you speak with, time is needed. But what matters most is that those for us and for those we share with make it to the end. So have you ever considered the question of when did you become a Christian? Some of you know the specific date, the specific room, the person you prayed with, all of the circumstances around your salvation. Some of you don't know, though. Maybe it was as a little child or like me. I can't remember what even happened yesterday. I like to say, I'll find out when I became a Christian, when I get to heaven and Jesus can tell me the date, because ultimately it doesn't matter when that moment happened. It matters of actually getting to the end, which again, as we saw last week, those whom the Father draws to him, he will never cast out. And so the grace of God is that he gets us to the end. And ultimately, like you and I, the 12 didn't choose Jesus on their own. Jesus chose them, as we see in verse 70. And again, John loves double meanings for words in his language that he chooses. And so here again, he says he chose the 12, but he also chose Judas in the midst of choosing the 12. Where some are chosen to believe and some are just 
chosen to follow. They're not chosen to believe. And so all men and women, we saw in chapter 3, we are on this trajectory. We are living this life that leads to sin and destruction and ultimate judgment. And God, in His grace, He chooses some to believe. God doesn't choose them to destruction. They are already on that path to judgment. And those who don't believe, they're already on their way to their eternal final resting place, which is eternal judgment, like Judas that was inherited in the fall. And Jesus calls Judas a devil. And a devil in this original language is that of a slanderer or a false accuser. It's not saying that Judas is Satan, but this is significant. And so as disciples who have followed Jesus for years, they begin to turn away. Peter knows that Jesus has the words of eternal life that are not falsely accused, that are not slanderous. It's an exclamation point here for all who read. Who will you follow? In the end, we know who the true disciples are. Those who make it to the end. At the end of Jesus' ministry in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says this. He says, They will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. For those true disciples who are here in this room, don't let your love grow cold. The world around us is full of sin. The doubts in your head, the temptations of the enemy will be like a fire extinguisher at, moment, at continuous moments throughout our lives. So don't seclude yourselves in your prayer closets alone. We still engage with the world around us. We engage with each other and we help to invest in each other so that our love would not grow cold. Yes, there is value in spending time with Jesus by yourself, but there's also significant value of growing together in godliness together because Jesus has the words of eternal life. And so reading your Bibles helps to not let your love grow cold. Your Bibles will show you how to follow. And we get to come alongside each other to continue to push each other into God's word to get us to the end. And the Bible reminds us again and again when we fail that He will never cast us out. He has grace upon grace. We can never out His grace. And we will continue to preach through books of the Bible and share the gospel here on Sundays and direct you to your Bibles on Wednesdays. On Wednesday nights right now, we're spending some time going through a series on spiritual disciplines and helping each other to be disciplined, not in that which saves us, but working out our own salvation and giving ourselves to things that will help us to grow in holiness and godliness together. And we get to do this together with the folks of Cornerstone. We get to do it with our brothers and sisters from East Randolph, where the 12 had each other, and we too have each other to help us to make it to the end. We live in a culture of fast-paced information, even in Vermont. Microsoft, they did a study that a friend reminded me of 
uh, recently where from 2000 to 2018, the human attention span went from 12 seconds to eight seconds. Neither one of those is a long time, but it's a 33% reduction, which is huge. Discipleship is a long process. It'll take time. And Jesus has the words of eternal life. And the world around us will give us bite-sized information. It'll call you to be distracted all the time, to veer off from what you should be giving yourself to the most. If you read your Bibles for 12 minutes a day, you can finish in a year. I spend a lot more than 12 minutes a day scrolling through web pages or scrolling through a social media feed, reading the news. I think we can give ourselves to 12 minutes a day and reading our Bibles and even become a church that is devoted to being in God's Word and even getting through it every year. The church has gone from 10-minute Bible reading plans to 5-minute devotions to 1 minute in Scripture. As a friend joked the other day, it's 30 seconds is coming. Friends, he has the words of eternal life. This Bible in front of you is the words of eternal life. You cannot give yourself to it enough. Discipleship takes time. The end will come and we will be faced with the same questions that these disciples face with over and over again. Is Jesus who he said he is? Will you follow? And we will continue to need to make that choice over and over again. And so will you be silent like the crowds? Will you grumble and debate like the Jews? Will you walk away like the false disciples? Or will you stick with Jesus because he has the words of eternal life? And will you follow him? Will you love him by the grace of God? Jesus has the words of eternal life and so we can believe them. We can come to know them and we can acknowledge that Jesus is the Holy One of God like Peter did. And that's what John's gospel is all about, that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing we have, may have life in his name. And this is why Christians around the world will willingly go to prison, will willingly go to the firing squad, will willingly leave family and friends and possessions to follow Jesus. They'll leave even willingly share the gospel with their neighbor or their family member or the stranger they meet at the gas station. And even though we and Jesus may be rejected, where else would we go? It's hard, but it's worth it. And Jesus is worth it. And that's why we worship. That's what worship means. It's worship, combining that word together, of declaring and singing about who Jesus is and what he has done and giving him and God the glory that he is due. And so we will do that now. We'll do that in song. We'll do that in some more praying. We will do that in the giving of our tithes and offerings because Jesus has the words of eternal life. And so let's remind each other of that. Let's help each other to endure and let's believe and come to know more and more of who Jesus is and what he has done, that he is the Holy One of God. So would you pray with me?
Father, we are tempted often to question, to debate, to take pleasure in the things that you provide and not you. And God, when we don't get what we want, we grumble and we debate and we get upset about that. And some of us, we even walk away. But God, we thank you that your son, your scriptures have the words of eternal life. And that although difficult to understand at times, although challenging to follow at times, it is what's best for us. And so God, we pray that you would give us more grace to endure. We'd give us more grace to be patient with one another as we continue to bear one another's burdens and exhort one another and encourage one another to continue to fight the good fight of faith that we have before us. And God, we thank you that those whom you call to yourself, you will bring us to the end to endure because you will never cast us out. And God, even though we sin and we fall short of the glory of God, we thank you that there's more grace. And so God, would you help us to put to death that which is earthly in us and set our minds on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God for your glory, but for our joy. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.